have a lot of reading today, so please stand with me as we, as we pray, and I'm going to have you follow along with us on the board, and if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Today we are grateful in, for this day, God, and for the opportunity to honor and to worship you. For those that are here, our visitors, and those that have traveled long distances to see family and to gather in the house of God, we are grateful. We pray today that you will help us to honor you, and we thank you for coming to this earth to be born and to die for our sins. Now give us ears to hear. Help us to hear God's word, to put it into practice, and we thank you for how you have orchestrated everything we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have a long, we have quite a bit of reading today, so let me just jump right into it. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and the title of this message is Christ was born at the right time in history. Christ was born at the right time in history. So turn with me. I'm going to read the first 21 verses of the book of Luke. Uh, Luke, rather, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Then I'm going to read uh, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And then Numbers, chapter 3, verse 13. Again, Luke 2, 1 through 21. Micah 5, 2. And Numbers, chapter 3, verse 13. This is how it reads in the ESV, beginning at Luke, chapter 2, verse number 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. My God. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, see that? O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days or from eternity. Numbers 3.13. For all the firstborn are mine on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Again, Christ was born at the right time. Questions today still abound about how God carried out such an incredible plan that Jesus would come to earth at the time designated by him in history. And how could Jesus' coming still 2,000 years later be the talk of the world over 2,000 years later? People rejoice as well as fret over the name of Jesus, but his coming has turned this world upside down. Point number one, Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. The coming of Jesus' birth led God to even have a person by the name of Caesar Augustus to issue a decree that a census or that a registration should take place, all the males to go to their hometown. It was not a poll tax, which basically would be a tax of all adults, but this was a registration where each male had to go to their home and register. It was not a registration in Rome for those entering the army because those that were not Romans or those that were Jewish did not enter or did not fight in the Romans war, but it was a registration for tax purposes. This birth took place at the location that God said it would happen in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, literally means house of bread. Isn't it interesting that he was born at the place called the house of bread, and he calls himself the bread of life. Man shall not live, as my dad would say, on biscuits alone. As good as biscuits may be, you don't live on bread alone. But you must live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It was at this time in history which came to be known as the Pax 
Romana, Romana, meaning Roman peace that began with Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor. This period of peace, which came about after years and years of war, when armies and nations fought each other over land and civil wars and over um, property and over power to establish power. It was after this time when a peace, a time of peace was ushered in that Christ was to be born. Only God could do this. The Pax Romana or Roman peace lasted for a period of over 250 years. Caesar Augustus was the one who divided the Holy Land of Israel into three parts. And these three parts were actually ruled by Herod's son, Herod the Great, his sons. There was Archelaus, there was Philip, and then there was Herod Antipas. All of them ruled different areas. Isn't it interesting that in all of history, all the timelines, all the wars, God had so established that this Caesar, this particular person, would be in power at the time that he was to be able to be the one to issue the edict. Caesar Augustus was born with the name Gaius Octavius. Gaius Octavius. It was the Roman Senate that bestowed upon him in 27 B.C. the title Augustus. 27 B.C. is when that title was given to him. He reigned from 31 B.C., it is believed, through A.D. 14, the time in which Jesus would be born. He was to be succeeded by Tiberius who came to power in A.D. 14, Tiberius being his adopted stepson. He had a daughter named Julia, and because he didn't have an heir to, to take over the throne, he was one to say, I want my relatives, and had marriages arranged within his family to have someone to succeed him. Tiberius initially did not want to, but had actually retired, but was brought out of retirement and eventually took his place. His full name, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius. He was the grand nephew of the famous Julius Caesar. July, named after Julius Caesar. We get August after Augustus. Caesar Augustus was born in 63 B.C. He was named after his father who was named also Gaius Octavius. He was killed. And just as a note, uh, his uncle, Julius Caesar, was killed, was assassinated in BC, uh, 44 B.C. And it was said that Octavius was a beautiful child, was a very smart child, and Julius Caesar poured everything into Octavius. All the time that he could spend with him, he spent with him training him and helping him till he became the emperor. It's interesting that with Octavius, 
that he became one that what we say became part of a triumvirate. He and two others joined alliances to rule together when initially they were going to fight one another. It was Octavius who was the one to bring these two together. One of the individuals' name was uh, Marcus Antony, we have in history. Both of them actually later on were killed, leaving Octavius as the sole person to rule. And we find him mentioned here as the ruler at the time when Jesus is born. God makes no mistakes. He knows what he's doing. He has set things in motion, and individuals that think they're in control have another thing coming. He issued a decree, issued a, an imperial edict. An imperial edict basically, uh, imperial means an empire or emperor. Augustus, the name itself actually not only was a title, but it also was a name. So Augustus was also a title. He didn't want to take the name king because he felt it didn't go far enough. Didn't want the name dictator because it was too limited. Chose the name Augustus, exalted one. He wanted to be seen as God. So the Senate conferred upon him. Augustus, exalted one. Isn't it interesting how people can go for power and try to gain power and think they're somebody, but only to be used by God to determine his time frame and what he's doing. God can use anybody he wants. You also need to note something, that Herod Antipas, not Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, was also a person who was a king, he was ruling Judea at the time, put into place by the emperor. Herod actually died in history in 4 B.C. Now Christ had to be born before that time, or at, at least that time, because it is Herod who said, when the men, the wise men, saw the star, they came to worship him. They came to Herod the Great. And it was Herod who said, go search for this child. And when you, bring, find, when you find him, bring me words that I too can worship him. But Herod had other plans. It was his plan to kill him because he was a threat to the throne. Herod killed off his family. Had his sons killed. Miriam, his favorite wife, killed. Anybody that was a threat was in danger of losing their life. And so at least from 4 to 6 B.C. we have Christ being born as believe sometime in this period because Herod is still alive. Now, let me just say this. God does not make any mistakes when people are placed in this earth. You may have thought you were an accident. Your parents might have said, oops, but you were not an accident. Y'all get that later after we leave here. But God put you here. And you need to understand that you might think sometimes you are placed, you are in a place that you shouldn't be or you are out of place. You are in place and you are at the place that God has put you. 
Sometimes you wonder, God, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Well, you're here because God has planned you in from the beginning of time. He makes no mistakes. He orchestrates events. And so while this world seems to be going crazy, it is still in God's control. Joseph, you'll find the story of Joseph over in the book of Matthew chapter 1. There are two accounts of the birth of Christ in the Gospels. We have Matthew that tracks it from Joseph's side, following in the line of David. And then we have in the book of Luke where we have Mary. You will discover that last week we found that it was Mary who was told by the angel Gabriel that you're going to have a child and you are to name him Jesus. Over in the book of Matthew, you will discover that it was the angel Gabriel who came to him and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary, your betrothed wife. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife, even though she's pregnant. It's by the Holy Spirit. Now, today, that would be very hard to convince somebody that the Holy Spirit got someone pregnant. And that would be true. Today, that would be not the case. There would be evidence that could be found someplace else. But God told Joseph it was the Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid because Joseph, being a righteous man, was about to try to find a way to put Mary aside to divorce, divorce her privately and quietly because he did not want to embarrass her. The rumor mill would have been running wild. Mary said the Holy Spirit. We know those soldiers been running through there. So Joseph, following the command of the Lord, goes and takes Mary with him. Now there's a couple reasons why Joseph may have taken Mary. Number one, the fact that she was close to giving birth. She was at a time to where she was about to give birth. The second thing might have been because of all the things that were being said, he probably didn't want to have, have her have to deal with all the naysaying by herself. And so says, let's go, and he was going to be her provider and comforter and protector. So he didn't want her having to deal with all of those things. And so he takes her with it. That could be part of it. But the most important is that it was already prophesied where this child had to be born, Bethlehem. It was Joseph's obedience to the angel who gave him God's word that we have the fulfillment of the prophecy Micah as well as in Isaiah. You see, when we fail to do our part in the larger scheme of God, it is not that God's will will not be done. It just may mean that he has to bypass you and me when, in fact, he has already planned us in. God's plan is not going to be thwarted. He will accomplish his will. You can choose to cooperate or not. His will and plan is going to be done. God will move heaven and earth to accomplish his will. It was in Bethlehem that God said that Jesus was to be born, and he moved upon the heart of the emperor, Augustus, that says, I want a decree issued. Now, there has been in, in history 
uh, those that are skeptics that says, well, it couldn't have been Quirinius because Quirinius, we find in history that there was a registration in uh, uh, 6 to 7 AD, and therefore it would be too late to have uh, a Jesus born because uh, Jesus had to be born before that time. So we say that Luke got his information wrong. There, there, there was not the case. But what they failed to see is that evidently Quirinius served at least two terms. There were two senses. You note that Luke says in the first census, he was the governor in Syria for the first census. There were two senses, evidently, and Quirinius served, it is believed according to history, we find him serving two times. Jesus' birth ended a period of what has been said to be the silent years, and even though it's recorded in history as the silent years, there was a lot that God was doing during that time, during what we call the intertestamental period, that time between the close of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, that 400 years span, the Lord was preparing and doing things. And, and, and then we find during this time that in Matthew, in the Gospels, we have the angels breaking forth and giving praise and glory to God by announcing that Christ is to be born. Now, who does he come to? He comes to a lowly peasant girl, Mary, poor, not having much of anything. He then goes to the shepherds in the field. Go announce to the shepherds. The shepherds were considered to be the low people of life. You, you, if you were a shepherd, you were considered to be despised. Nobody listened to you. In fact, you couldn't even be used in court. You couldn't be used as a witness because you were just unreliable. So the shepherds were put aside. But get this. It was to the shepherds in the field that God sent the angel Gabriel to give the announcement that in Bethlehem, Christ the Savior is to be born. God will do things totally opposite of what you think he should do. He has a way of just doing his own thing and confounding individuals. There are five things that I want you to notice about the shepherds. One of the things I want you to notice is that they are doing what they were supposed to be doing by taking care of the sheep. Isn't it wonderful when you are doing what you are supposed to be doing? You don't want to have to hear a person say, what are you doing? <laughs> What, what are you doing here? What are you doing? They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They are out in the field. The second thing I want you to note is they had a proper fear of God's messengers. I know today there are many people that say, oh, I, I'm just calling on my little angel to come. I've told you before, they're not no little angel. These angels that would, that would show up on the scene, they would, they would freak people out. To the point where they had to say, if they were in God's will, fear not. Fear not. That's the first word you oftentimes hear when a messenger comes from God. Fear not. Why? Because they are terrifying beings. Not no little angel you put on your shoulder and throw in a suitcase when you go someplace. These are mighty beings. They had a proper fear of God's messengers. The third thing, they did not let fear paralyze them to an action. They didn't allow their fear to keep them from doing what they were told to do or what they were given as a great sign. The fear didn't paralyze them. 
The fourth thing I want you to notice about these shepherds, they went to see what they had been told. They went to see what they had been told. Sometimes fear can keep you from doing that which you know you should do and that which should be done. A fear. What if I fail? What if people don't like me? What if I don't get it just right? Fear, fear, fear. You see, fear sometimes will hinder you from your blessings. Now get this, sometimes it's good to have fear because it can give you warning of what should not be done. But fear should also be something that you realize you need to have because it can give you a proper respect of that which you need to pay attention to. The fifth thing I want you to note, they shared the good news. When the angel told them that they were to go to Bethlehem and to see see the sign, they shared the good news. Now, let's take a back up just for a moment. When the angel, angel Gabriel told the shepherds this wonderful news, it was not to the priests, the Levites, the big shots, the emperor, the king. He went to those that were despised, those that people wouldn't listen to. I'm going to tell you this. I don't care who a person may be. If they are telling you truth, you need to listen. If truth is being spoken, you need to hear. If truth is being spoken. When the angel gave them the word, the Bible says that then a great host of heaven came and was singing glory to God in the highest. The host of heaven is actually the army of God. Can you imagine the army was sent by God to join the angel that gave the good news? To give honor and glory to God by singing glory to God in the highest. The army of God. Can you imagine the military stopping to give praise to the king of glory? And after they finished giving glory to God, the Bible says they left. And then the Bible says they hurried off to see what had been told them. (laughs) Christ in a manger. A manger was a feeding trough where animals ate from. Joseph and Mary, after making this trip from Galilee, Nazareth and Galilee, 85 to 90 miles, a very rugged ride, Mary being pregnant, rough terrain, that the baby was not born on the way. But at the place, at the end, And then the baby was wrapped in swaddling cloths, and the cloth would be to basically keep the limbs straight and to provide comfort, and then place in a trough so that when the the shepherds came, they found the scene, not with the baby in Mary's arms, but the baby in the manger. (laughs) Today we don't find kings and royalty being born in a manger, but here... This Christ that we serve was born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger. The conditions may not have been the very best. The city would have been crowded with people. And in the midst of them, a marvelous thing where the angels spoke to the shepherds 
and they were the ones to carry the good news. And the Bible says they, they, that they told the people all that they heard, and the people believed and said, what is up with this child? <laughs> they said just like that, but... <laughs> But you can imagine they were saying, oh, my goodness, they were believed. And the Bible says that after they told and there was rejoicing, guess what they did? They went right on back to what they were doing before, taking care of the sheep. You see, just because you get saved don't mean you go quit your job. No, go sitting on Mount Tam waiting for the Lord to come back. I had a visit from the Lord. I'm going to sit here and wait. No, take yourself on back to work. (laughs) They went back, but they were rejoicing. Why? Because they have been given glorious news about this wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, being born. And the Bible says it was Mary who treasure these things in our heart. Let me tell you this. We have the best news possible. We have been given a Savior. And I don't care what people say, on Christmas, the atmosphere is just different. You can sense it in the atmosphere. People can try to, de- to try to deny Jesus all they want. They take the holiday off. They have family members over. I don't care what they say. They recognize that on that day, this time of year, something special takes place. And it was in 1 Samuel, chapter 16, about the first 13 or 14 verses, where the Lord told told, uh, Samuel, that's it, I just said it, huh? (laughs) Go to the house of Jesse, who was of the city of Bethlehem, the Bethlehemite. Go there, and I want you to anoint one of his sons. And after all seven sons went past, Samuel thought, surely this firstborn is the anointed of the Lord. Look how big he is. Look how handsome the Lord says, I haven't chosen him. Don't you look at the physical appearance. And all seven sons went by. The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Do you have another son? Oh, oh there's little David. He's, he's out taking care of the sheep. Get me. Do we have a shepherd? <laughs> Here's that. Here's this little one that that's that's only seen as taking care of the sheep. Go get him. We won't have anything. We won't start until he comes. And as soon as he showed, the Lord said, "He's the one. Anoint him." The Lord had already orchestrated that it was from Bethlehem that the Savior was to be born of the house and the line of David. What a God that we serve that can pinpoint timelines and knows everything. Wouldn't you want to serve a God like this? (laughs) Stand to your feet, please. Stand to your feet. I I tell you today, my, my heart and soul gets excited because when I think about Christmas, I think about this time and the specialness, we have the, we have the truth and we know the reason of why we celebrate today in this place. God, we are grateful to you. That you have come to this earth. You were born (laughs) at a time when there was busyness. When a lot was happening where you moved upon the Roman emperor's heart and said, There has to be a census. Go register. Where Christ would be born in Bethlehem, 
Today, God, we thank you that you know all events. And so when we come to you and we offer thanks and prayers, we know that we have the God who knows everything and can do anything. So today we honor you and we bless you. And as we leave this place today, enjoy family and friends. We pray today that, God, this will be a special time in the lives of families to where where maybe there's been bickering, we can get along. Where maybe there's been sadness, there can be joy, at least for that day where they can come together and remember the reason why we honor the king. Because we have a savior that was born. The good news was given. A Savior born to you today. Thank you right now. We give glory to you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a wonderful Christmas.